It's already hot. Glad I got the mowing done yesterday. And Randall, if you wouldn't mind closing that, closing that back door for me. Oh, they're closing. Oh, great. You're way ahead of me. Great. Philip, would you get that one for me, please? We don't want anybody sneaking in. <laughs> We're in the fifth and sixth chapters of John's Gospel this morning. And by the way, is there anything we've covered that we didn't cover? Something you want to go back and ask about or talk about so far? All right. Let's just get started. And as I have said, so we can try to cover John to some extent. My attempt is to have worksheets that cover a section. And even, even this way, I don't know if we'll make it. There's just a lot of, a lot of stuff in John. So uh, this is what we're trying to do to get through the gospel in the time we have allotted. So as long as we don't have any snow days, uh, we should be all right. Little review. What was the response of the Samaritans as a result of Jesus visiting with the woman at Jacob's well? What did they say? What did they do? Yes. And they, they came to faith. Initially, they said, we came out here because we believed what you said, but now we believe because we've seen it for ourselves. And they wanted him to stay on. When Jesus went to Galilee, why did they receive him so readily in Galilee? Anybody recall that reason? He went to Galilee and they welcomed him there because they had been to Jerusalem and seen the signs that he was doing there, the wonders. And so when he came to Galilee, it was like they had a celebrity. In what city was Jesus at the end of chapter 4? And if you want, it's not cheating to go to the end of chapter 4 and take a look at that. Something significant happened there that we did not really get to last week. He was in Cana of Galilee. What happened at Cana in chapter 2? Turn the water to wine, which was his first sign. That's what John identified as the first sign that Jesus did. And I'm pretty sure it's not the first wonder he performed because his mom had a handle on what he could do. And so she called it to his attention when she said, son, they don't have any wine. He said, woman, what's that to me? Uh, anyway, he, he listened to his mother and did what she wanted Always a good, uh, good piece of advice there, by the way. Good example for us. So he's in Cana, and he heals this royal servant's son, a royal official. And he does it when he is about 20 miles away. And to us, that might be marvelous. But we're talking about Jesus. What did John say Jesus did in the first few verses, he talked about the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and everything came into existence through the Word. 
And you go back to Genesis 1 and you see that. God said, God said, God said, let there be light. God said, let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters. God said, and everything happened. And when God was saying that, that was Jesus. And so when Jesus spoke everything into existence, and John reminds us of that, or makes us aware of that as he begins his gospel, then when we get to chapter 4, and he says, oh, this young man will be healed 20 miles away. No big deal. No big deal. This is where faith comes in. We believe that he is God, or we do not. And if we do believe he's God, then everything else is easy to fit into that uh, that perspective. What does John record about the healing of the royal official's son? Well, we just talked about that. So let's move on. Chapter 5, This will, these next few points will include compass the first 23 verses and some of them you won't know because you haven't had the opportunity to take the time to count what I'm going to be asking but I just want to make points from some of these where did Jesus find a man who was sick apparently lying on a pallet he had been sick for 38 years 38 years long enough for everybody to know this is that guy and where did he find him Beside the pool of Bethesda. What did Jesus do in order to heal him? This is kind of a trick question. <laughs> okay, told him to get up. <laughs> this is the thing about things Jesus says. He knows what he means to have happened by what he says. He doesn't have to say the exact words. So when he says to that thief on the cross, today you're going to be with me in paradise, what happened to that guy's sin? It was erased. He doesn't have to say that. Bingo. He's, he's there. I, I like what one guy did with that. He was talking about that. I was listening to his, his lesson, good lesson on that. And he says, uh, all, all the angels and the, and the saints who were there who've passed on to glory were asking him hey who are you so I, i'm a thief what what are you doing here well jesus said i could come <laughs> well what do you know about the the doctrine of faith well i don't know what do you know about the doctrine of sanctification i don't know well how'd you get here well jesus said i could come <laughs> that's going to be me <laughs> people could ask me questions about complicated things High theological truth. I, well, I just know Jesus. That's, that's what makes all the difference. And that's why when the apostles went throughout the world, they did exactly what Jesus told them to do. They preached about him. They preached his gospel. And people who believed it were baptized and they became disciples. And that's, that's it. Why did the Jews confront the man who had been healed? It was a Sabbath day. Hey, what's going on here? What's the big idea of getting healed on the Sabbath? <laughs> you see the ridiculousness of, of their position? They, they take a biblical teaching and they turn it into a, a curse rather than the blessing it's supposed to be. Wouldn't it be great if our government realized, okay, one day of the week, everybody's supposed to rest. God said so. Just take a day and you rest. Don't do anything. Don't even mow your grass. Rest. 
Don't even cook food. Cook it the day before so you'll have it ready. Where am I here? I've lost my place. The Jews wanted to kill Jesus because he was blank the Sabbath. You could put breaking, transgressing, breaking the Sabbath, and making himself blank with God, equal with God. My father works and I have to work. Whoa, you can't say things like that because they understood what that meant. He was telling the truth. And they did not, would not believe it. What two things does Jesus claim he does, just like the Father does? Now this one's a little, it's a little harder to figure out. But do you see any things in, that's the idea. What what things do you see Jesus saying that he's doing because the Father does it? He's working. My Father works on the Sabbath, and so do I. Now, is that kind of a strange statement to make my father works on the Sabbath? How did the Sabbath get started? Came from creation. He created on the six days, and then he gave us the example of resting on the Sabbath. But how does the universe hold together on the Sabbath if God's not doing anything? By the word. That's what Peter would say later. By the word of God. The heavens were of old, and everything holds together by the word of God. There are other texts that teach that as well. Right. Yes. Stay, stay. Just, you know, you ever have a dog that you're trying to train? It's like, well, forget that. You ever have a child you're trying to train? It's like... That's one thing we kept our two of our grandchildren this week. It was great. It was exhausting, but it was great. And little little James, he's not even a year old. He he turned 11 months this week while we had him. And he would reach out for something, and I'd say, no, no, James. And he'd pull his hand back, and he'd go on. It's like, whoa, how did that happen? Well, that's just kind of unusual. And so when you see that, and when God says to the universe, if he says to the universe, stay put, keep your orbits, keep your gravity, keep your tolerances, everything is supposed to be the way it is. If you ever want to do something, some research that's really fascinating, look at how uh, closely fine-tuned the universe is. The tolerances, and and I don't know how scientists have figured this out, but they said if this was just a a half a degree more this way, everything would blow up. Or if it was a half a degree the other way, everything would blow up. If it's it's a minuscule this or a minuscule that, everything would blow up. There wouldn't be any universe. But everything's in perfect harmony and perfect tune, even though the universe has fallen through sin. So... Check it out. Now, see, I'm getting off on that stuff. I'm supposed to be talking about John. God has given all blank to the Son. <clears throat> all what? Authority to the Son, yes, but there's another thing he says in here. Judgment. Judgment. And when you talk about judgment, you're talking about authority because only someone with true authority can judge. 
And this is what Jesus is saying here. By the way, one of the things he said that he does, just like the Father does, he raises the dead. As my Father's working, I'm working, and he raises the dead, and, and I raise the dead. So there's a, there's a worksheet on the stand there if you'd like to have one. Grab a couple of those. We are down almost finishing up the first section. Uh, Jesus says the one who blanks him and blanks him has eternal life. And this is from verse 24, by the way. And I, I don't know why I put that in there because I'm not supposed to be in 24. Hears him and believes him. And that's my mistake for including it in that section. That's supposed to be limited to 23. I broke the law. All right. Now, officially, we're in verse 24. Truly, truly is a phrase Jesus uses at least 25 times. 25 times at least he uses. No, I'm sorry, 24. Back off one. You count them yourself. Sorry for that faux pas. He uses 24 times in John's gospel. Life in one way or another, is mentioned 56 times. But is mostly spoken of by Jesus with regard to blank life. What kind of life do you think Jesus would be talking about? Eternal life. So 56 times the idea of life comes up in John's gospel. And why is there a bullet point without anything there? I don't know. Anyway, let's go to the next one. Jesus attributes all of his authority to the, to the Father. Continually, he's doing this. He's pointing back to the Father. Son of man is a phrase Jesus uses of himself. And I believe he uses it eight times. Here's your research question. Check out how many times he uses the phrase son of man. I did that research and then I forgot to put it down on the worksheet. And this harkens back to Daniel chapter 7. Flip back to Daniel 7 for just a minute. Keep a finger there in John 5 or 6 or wherever we are. And in Daniel 7, we see Daniel. This is a vision he had. And it says, 13 and 14, I kept looking in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, one like a son of man was coming. And he came up to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him, and to him was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and men of every language might serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which will not pass away. And his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. So that's where this phrase son of man originates. It originates with Daniel. The Holy Spirit gave it to Daniel in a vision of a man like the son of man coming up before the ancient of days. And what is he given? You can fill in the blanks there. Dominion, glory, and what else? A kingdom. And by the way, how does he come with the, 
dwell on. How does he come to the Father? How does he come to the Ancient of Days? In the vision, with the clouds of heaven. You remember Acts chapter 1. Jesus has resurrected and he spent time with the apostles. And then he does what? But he ascends. How? With the clouds. He ascends with the clouds. And so Daniel, 600 years prior, is giving us this vision of one like the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven up before the Ancient of Days. And it it fits perfectly. Jesus has completed his mission on earth. He's lived out, uh, become the gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection. He spends time with the apostles, and then he ascends in the clouds to come back before the Ancient of Days, and that's where he's given the kingdom. By the way, when you... If you, if you ever get in a conversation with somebody and they say the kingdom is yet to come, take them to Daniel 7. Jesus has ascended. He's received the kingdom. The kingdom is what was preached in uh, the book of Acts. And that's what we are part of. The Hebrew writer talks about this. Receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken. It's not something one day we'll receive it, but it is already here. We are part of it. All right, where are we here? Jesus said that blank testified about him and that he was a blank that was burning and they rejoiced for a blank in his light. This is in the latter part of chapter 5, starting around verse 33. So who does he talk about testifying of him? John Not John the Apostle in this case, but John the Baptizer. John came to prepare the way for the Lord. So John testified about Jesus. And he was a blank that was burning. A light. In those days, if you had a light, it was was burning. We still talk about that. And literally it does. It, It burns to some degree. You've got that incandescent bulb, but that filament is is heated up and it ignites the gas that's inside there. But now we got these cool LEDs. Ah, oh, man, those are great. But when Jesus talked about a light burning, people knew what he was talking about. And it gave off light. And that's who John was. And they rejoiced for a while in that light. Jesus said that his testimony was greater than John's because what else was testifying about him? You see it in there? His works. His works were testifying about him. Now later on there'll be a statement made about John. We believe John and he didn't have any works but we still believed him even though he had no works and here comes Jesus. He's got works. So how much more should we believe in Jesus than we believed in John? The final witnesses he speaks of here, Jesus speaks of here, are his blanks and the blanks, especially Moses. What would be the first blank? Look at verse 36. 
My testimony is greater than John because of the works. We're back to works. What are the works called from time to time in John? They're called signs. He's working. Remember, he just he just had that guy pick up his pallet and walk. And he said, my father's working on the Sabbath. I'm working too. That was a work. Healing that man who was unable to walk, apparently. He was, it says he was sick. It doesn't describe the sickness. But he had a pallet. So whatever sickness he had, he needed a pallet for it. Jesus was working when he healed him. That's the first blank. The final witness, witnesses he speaks of here are his works and the scriptures, especially Moses, who will be there blank in the end. Do you see that? How does Jesus describe what Moses will be in the end for those who do not believe in Jesus? Take a look down at verse 45. Moses will be their accuser. Not him personally, but but what God gave Moses to write down. You take a look at this law, because you can't live by the law and be justified. There has to be grace. All right, that's the first page. Go to the second page. By the way, if you got the one that was stapled, it's the same as the other. I just, I'm not used to that copier, and I started making copies before I realized what I was doing. Yes? Walk in verse 12, 13, 14, uh, chapter 5. Yes. It says, and afterward, Jesus finds him in the temple and said unto him, Behold, thou art made whole, sin no more, lest a worse thing come up on you. And this guy is sickness because of his sin? It, no. it, it makes, makes it sound like that. But I don't believe so. I, I think if the he point sinned, that, if he sinned again, he would lose his soul. That'd be worse than being sick on the bed. Okay. What's the proper response of receiving a gift like that? Thank you. Yes. Gratitude. Gratitude. And gratitude should compel us to do more than just say the words. And so Jesus is, I think he's trying to get this guy to understand, you've been given something that not everybody has. By the way, I don't know if you caught it, how many people were there at the pool of Bethesda? Not just him. There were a lot there. That's what it says. And Jesus didn't come in and say, all right, everybody here, you're all healed, get up and go home. He could have, but he didn't. This one man, he says, pick up your pallet. And he did. And he finds him later and he says, be careful with your life. Don't sin anymore. There's worse things that can happen to you. So, I don't know about you, but when something bad happens to me, one of my first instincts is, what did I do? Because that's just the way we think. And is it possible that we've done something to deserve 
the answer to that is yes, <laughs> very possible. But that doesn't mean that's the way it is all the time. Bad things happen to good people. Look at Job. Look at Abraham. Bad things happen to people. Life is hard. And it's not always because we do something wrong. Who's the greatest example of that? That'd be Jesus. That'd be Jesus. Look at everything he had to put up with. And he was perfect. So we can bring things on ourselves. But don't, don't make too much of Jesus' statement to the man to make you think that everything that happens that's bad to you is because you've been bad. But also don't, don't get uppity and start thinking that you're good either because you're not. <laughs> we, are, we are blessed with so much grace and mercy. Grace is when you get something you don't deserve. Mercy is when God withholds punishment you do deserve. And we get a lot of both. All right. Top of the second page. Leaving Jerusalem, Jesus goes to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. That would be the east side of the Sea of Galilee. Where a large crowd follows him because of the blank they saw. I said large crowd. Why did I say large crowd? That's a blank. I put blanks so you could fill them in. And then I tell you a large crowd. Can you tell I've had grandkids this week? What's the other blank that I didn't fill in? Signs. <clears throat> they saw the signs. <clears throat> Excuse me. Jesus fed how many men? In this case, 5,000 men. And I know that the English doesn't bear it out, but if you go to the Greek, which I know you're all going to do as soon as you get home this afternoon, the word is aner, which means men, male men. There's another word that's often used that's translated men, that's anthropos, that just means people basically. But sometimes it's translated men. But in this case, the word means males. I don't believe for an instant that there were only men there. So when it says 5,000 men, there were probably an equal number of women. I don't know that. I'm just saying that what the text bears out is that 5,000 is the number of men that were there. Who else might have been there? I don't know. Or maybe they told the girls, y'all can't come. This is our thing. I don't know. I don't think so. Men and count because of who they were. Women were lesser at this time. It, it's, it's possible, possible. but I, I have a hard time because of other situations. We lived in the best the way it was. There were no women in this group. But there were 5,000 men. And if you think about it, I mean, he's God. It's just as easy to feed 20 million as it is to feed 5,000. He's, he's in authority over every molecule. And he does it with, are we down there yet? Yes. They gathered up to how many baskets? Twelve baskets of fragments. When they started with only blank loaves, five loaves, and how many fish? Two fish. Yeah, they get 12 baskets of fragments. That's a pretty efficient sign right there. 
How did that happen? I don't know. You'll hear people come up with all kinds of creative stories. They'll say, oh, well, everybody had actually brought lunch. They just forgot about it. And when Jesus pulled out the, the loaves and the fish, oh, well, we've got food too. And they all came out with their own lunches. No, no. Nobody's going to continue following Jesus because of that. And that's what the text says happened. And Jesus will tell them that that's what they're doing later. The people saw this blank sign. Yeah, it was a sign. And when they saw that, they called Jesus blank, blank. And if you've looked up Deuteronomy 18, you know what to put in those blanks. And it's not only in Deuteronomy, it's also in the Gospels. The prophet. They called him the prophet. In Deuteronomy 18, Moses said, The Lord our God will raise up a prophet like unto me from among your brethren. And ever since Moses said that, the Israelites have been looking for that prophet to come. So is this the prophet? Is this the one Moses spoke about? Yeah, this is him. He's not just a prophet. He's also a priest. He's also a king. He's also God. Seeing these things, the people tried to make him king by, by force. We're going to force him to be king. Think of that. You're going to force God. Force his hand. Not even his mom tried to force him. Chapter 6, this is section 4. The Jews did not seek Jesus because they saw signs, but because they blank and were blank. And this is something Jesus said to them. So if you've got a red letter New Testament, it'll be easier for you to find. They ate and they were filled. That's why they were following him. So he said not to work for the food which perishes, but that which endures to eternal life. What did Jesus say it meant to do the works of God? No blank here, just a question. Look at verse 29. To believe. Are we saved by works? According to this definition, we are. (laughs) Because it's a work of God that you believe. Isn't that interesting? But it's not a work that earns you anything. That's the question about works. Are we talking about works that merit us something? That that means we deserve some kind of a reward? Or are we just talking about works of faith? Works of obedience? We're never talking about works of merit. Jesus never says, do this and you'll earn something. Matter of fact, he said in Luke chapter 17, I know we're not in Luke, but here we are in John. But this bears on it. He said, when you have done everything that's commanded you to do, what are you? When you've done everything, you are an unprofitable servant. We're talking about God. He can do anything with a thought. And so what do I have to offer? I'm an unprofitable. It it costs him. It costs him to take care of me. It costs him his son to save me. I am not profitable. At this point, 
They ask for another sign. <clears throat> I'm not going to ask you to count up how many he's given them so far. But another sign such as the blank given through Moses. The manna. Moses gave us manna. You got a sign like that? What had Jesus just done? <laughs> he, he, he turned a few loaves and a couple of fish into a meal for thousands and had more leftovers than what they started with, way more leftovers. And they're asking about, you give us a sign like manna? Jesus says that he is the blank bread, true bread, the true bread. I had a couple of pieces of toast this morning with some butter and some, some sorghum molasses, and that was bread. It was real bread, but it wasn't the true bread. Jesus is the true bread. I'm going to be hungry again even though I ate that toast. But if Jesus is in my life, I'll never hunger for anything to take the place of Jesus. He fills us up. He is the true bread, and that those who come to him or blank in him will never hunger or thirst. Believe, believe. He keeps coming back to this idea of believe. Faith, belief. What John's gospel is all about. Jesus, claiming to be the true bread from heaven, created much blank among the people to which he responded. And what did he create with that statement? You can, it doesn't say it in the text. Controversy, and it makes a lot of controversy when you say you're the true bread from heaven. But then here's a quote from chapter 6, verse 45. Everyone who has blanked and blanked from the Father comes to me. What's that? Heard and learned. You hear and you learn. And when you hear and you learn, you come to Jesus. There's no other way. You hear and you learn. You hear the truth. You learn it. You come to Christ through that truth. What did Jesus say? He'll say it. John chapter 8. We'll read about it here in a couple of weeks, Lord willing. If you truly be disciples of mine, keep my words. And you'll be... Disciples who know the truth, and the truth will make you free. An argument arose among the Jews again when Jesus claimed that only those who would blank his flesh and blank his blood would have life. Eat and drink. We know that one. That one stands out in our minds. Well, what kind of a statement is that? Now, here's a, I want to ask you this. Did he not know that that was going to cause consternation among people, to use that kind of language? Why do you think he might have done that? To me, it's, it's this, and I, I believe I have evidence for this. It's like Jesus says, all right, here's a line. What side are you going to be on? Do you believe I'm God? If you believe I'm God and I tell you this, then you're going to go in your mind, all right, I don't really understand that, but I believe in him. So believing in him, I'm going to go with what he says. That's one view. The other is, well, I don't understand it, so it can't be right. And if it's not right, then he must be a sham. 
That's the way a lot of people, it's, it's based on their own understanding. If I can understand it, then okay, it's good. But if I can't understand it, let me ask you this. What other subjects do we approach like that? Anybody in here understand calculus? Now, some of you will. We've got probably some good mathematicians in here. But if you don't understand calculus, does that mean, oh, calculus, that's no good. Geometry, I didn't understand it, so it can't be anything worthwhile. Algebra, I took a lot of languages in school, but I never took algebra. Uh, So, well, it's got letters. Why? That's the confusion. You know, you start with numbers when you're a kid learning math. Oh, yeah, numbers. And then they throw in letters. It's like, what? We're mixing in English now? You can't do that. Just because we don't understand something doesn't mean it's true. Jesus throws it out there. Unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood. Now, if you believe in Jesus, what do you want to do with that statement? You say, man, I want to dig a little more. I want to find out what's this all about, eating his flesh and drinking his blood. You don't say, well, okay, I don't understand it, so enough of him being the son of God. Yeah, I know I was there when I saw the 5,000 fed. I know I was there and I saw the guy who'd been uh, sick for 38 years healed. I I know in chapter 9 I'm going to see the blind guy healed that had been blind from birth. But I don't understand what he says, so I'm going to quit following him. That doesn't make any sense at all, does it? Either he is the son of God in your mind or is not. And if he is, just wait for the understanding to come. How many times have we run into something and we didn't quite understand it, but with time and study and a little help maybe from somebody else, you go, oh, I get it now. And what a goober would we have been if we'd have stopped just because we didn't understand it at first. Keep going, keep going, keep going. Everything else is like that. We start without understanding and we grow in it. Son of man. Oh, I'm missing it here. So Jesus asked, what if, what then, if you see the son of man blank to where he was blank? Ascending to where he was before. Oh, why did he say this? He had to know this was going to throw a lot of people off. But is it true? He's talking about something, this is going to happen. Well, what if you see that? I, I tell you this, you eat my flesh and drink my blood, and that throws you off. Well, what if I tell you uh, you're going to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? All of it's true. It's absolutely true. They couldn't see it like sometimes we can't see it. But if you trust Jesus, you okay, he said it. It's got to be true. It's got to be true. And I don't know if you, if you spend any time on YouTube at all. Uh, I see a lot of videos by people saying, here's all the contradictions in the Bible. What? Contradictions in the Bible? And you click on that, and they go, here's a contradiction number one. And you go, well, well, but you're forgetting about this over here that explains that. And by the time you're done, you realize, well, there aren't any contradictions. It's just like when Jesus was on trial. What did they do to condemn Jesus to death? They hired people to lie. And there are a lot of people telling lies about God and about the Bible And when they do that, don't be afraid because Jesus is the truth and he's the only truth. There isn't any other truth. And if you don't understand something, just hold on. It'll come. And even if it doesn't come to you, that doesn't mean it's not true. The understanding, I mean. 
He then said that his words were blank and blank. Spirit and life. Spirit and life. They were truth, but what he's saying here is, the words that I speak to you, they're spirit. What does that mean? What do you make of that? If you're planning to eat lunch later today, why are you going to do that? And in our culture, sometimes we forget why we do that. Sometimes we think we're going to eat lunch because it's fun. No, why do we actually eat? To survive, to keep your body going. We've become so fortunate, so blessed in this country that it's not a matter of survival. We never think of, oh, we've got to eat to survive. No, we eat to have fun. Where do you want to go to eat? You want Mexican? You want Italian? You want Medi- I saw a Mediterranean place over in the northwest part of town. Oh, I want to go over there and check that out. That's why we eat in our culture, because it's fun. But the reality is we eat to survive. We eat to live. And so the words that Jesus speaks to us are life. They sustain our life, but not the physical. It sustains the spiritual. His words are spirit, and they are life. They reach into another realm. They take us into another realm. We can't go there without Jesus. But his words carry us into the heavenly realm, the spiritual realm. The statement about eating his flesh and drinking his blood was so difficult that many of his disciples blanked. They left. They didn't walk with him anymore. What did Jesus ask his apostles at this point? You guys going to go away too? What, What was their response and who made the response? Peter, it's always Peter, isn't it? Where would we go? And then what did he say? You are the one that has the words of eternal life. Peter got it. No matter how goofy some of his other decisions might have been, he gets it. You're the one. You've got the words of eternal life. Nobody else does. And where are we going to go if we don't go to you? There is nobody else. That's a profound statement this man makes. Peter was on to something. And it was faith. A well-founded faith in the truth of who Jesus was. All right. You got anything as the last bell rings? I, I, I don't... I feel bad doing it this way. But this is the only way we're going to get through John. So please bear with me. You guys all right? All right, all right.